2: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you on December the 6th, 2016. I uh, am also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and uh, my company, Taylor 100 Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can subscribe to either of those newsletters by going to miningstocks.com or calling our office in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, uh, feel free to send along your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises to questionsfortaylor@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Um, I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our, today's uh, show is sponsored by Novel Resources, Klondike Gold, RN Resources, and Ariane Phosphate. And uh, we'll be talking to Ivan Bebek, uh, the chairman of RN Resources, in a few minutes. And uh, next week, uh, Quentin Henning of Novel Resources will be. Uh, A guest on this show. Uh, I've titled today's show, Will a Trump Presidency Unleash Hyperinflation? John Williams, Ivan Bebek, and Michael Oliver are returning guests today. Economist John Williams of ShadowStats newsletter fame is known for his honest employment, unemployment, his honest employment numbers and inflation statistics and that those contrast very sharply with those of the United States government stats. For example, uh, if we use the same yardstick that was used for inflation going back before Ronald Reagan, uh, John reckons we'd be looking at seven or eight percent cost of living numbers rather than the two percent metric that is widely uh, talked about by the mainstream media. Uh, and uh, you know, if likewise, if we'd gone back to the same measurement that was used in the 1930s, we'd be looking at. Unemployment rates that are closer to 20% than the uh, sub-5% range that they're talking about these days. In other words, according to John's work, uh, we learn that things may not be nearly as rosy as President Obama and President Bush before him would have us believe they are. In recent years, John has warned of an inevitable hyperinflationary depression given upwards to $200 trillion of federal debt on on balance sheet as well as off balance sheet uh, and John points out that can that can only be repaid by printing press money. So, so far, mountains of debt have really slowed economic growth, keeping the uh, inflation numbers down. Or perhaps uh, we're really seeing inflation, but they're in the financial markets. Uh, but according to John, that's that's going to change, and it's going to change very dramatically. So we're going to listen to what John has to say. Uh, about that topic and uh, perhaps uh, have him reflect on a Trump presidency and what that might mean, if it might accelerate uh, his view of, of impending inflation or, or just how does he see a, a Trump presidency proceeding with respect to uh, the markets and uh, gold as well. John is also very, very bullish on gold. In uh, just a few minutes uh, after our first commercial break, I will be talking to Ivan Bebek. And Aran Resources is really one of my favorite junior gold mining stocks. And Ivan will talk to me about not one, but two or three, actually three or four targets that they have, uh, exploration projects. All three or four of them have tremendous upside potential to become world-class deposits. And they've had tremendous uh, track record in the past. Bebek and his partner have uh, have had two major successes um, we had one here, uh, Caden Resources was a sponsor of this show. We've had uh, Ivan on to talk about that. Last year, when all the gold shares were doing horribly, uh, they sold that to Agneagle Eagle and made their shareholders a ton of money. So a good track record, all the right things in place. We're looking forward to talking to, uh, to Ivan uh, right after our first commercial break. But right now, we have Michael Oliver with us once again. Thanks for joining me again, Michael.
4: Glad to
3: be back, Jay. Always good to talk to you, and it's always uh, important to tell our listeners that your website is OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Well, Michael, in an email you sent to me yesterday, you mentioned that the most important market movement, perhaps yesterday, uh, was that of the euro. The euro moved up very dramatically against the dollar. Talk to us about the significance of the sharp rise in the value of the euro yesterday. And that, that came right after a surprising, well, I don't know, an important election result in Italy.
4: Mm-hmm. The uh, euro was down near 105 against the dollar, and it shot up to 108. That's a sharp one-day, intraday plunge and then recovery. It's stabilized between 107 and 108 now. The uh, <clears throat> the big issue on the euro and the dollar index, which is a basket <laughs> of trade-weighted currencies, um is that the euro is 57% of the dollar index. So it's like, you know, the Dow Jones with one stock that's 57% of it. So the dollar index really is a, a mirror of the euro. Okay, sure. given that. They have been the dullest, most sedate markets this past year, and they've been the dullest, most sedate in their history. Sure. You, you get a 20, 30-year chart of the dollar index, or, or you go back to the euro and find me periods of time where you have 12, 13, 15 months of absolute sleepwalking. And that's what you've had. You've had such narrow ranges. So while the world has been shaken up to some extent, especially the debt markets recently, uh, the gold market this year, uh, <clears throat> the rise in, in oil, we've had volatility elsewhere, but not in this key huge asset category. Uh, you know, forget about minor currencies. The two biggest currencies in the world are dull. They will not stay that way. Uh, our work suggests that if the dollar index, which recently poked its little nose out above 100 uh, which it had hit last year and again this year, it went up to 102. We had anticipated that it might probe above the high. Why? Because uh, chartists like to do that. You know, they see it's like a target. You want to throw a brick through it, see what happens. So they went up to 102, and uh, nothing happened. It backed off to about 100 again. Our work suggests that if the dollar index, which is now barely above 100, which is where it was almost two years ago, drops back to 98 to 98.5 any time next year, it's over. You're breaking an 11-year momentum uptrend line on annual momentum. Euro, the reverse of that. Mm. If next year, which is how many trading days away, um, you trade the nearby euro futures up over up to 108, which is like yesterday's high, mm-hmm. um, I break the annual momentum out to the upside. So what I'm arguing is that this asset category, which is so pivotal to a lot of other markets, the impact, uh, they were going to come alive next year. And I strongly suspect that what it's going to be is dollar down, euro up, and the dollar down is going to help further encourage the rally that's already underway in commodities, which is a mixed rally at the present time. This year it was gold, oil, mm-hmm. copper to some extent, sugar, uh, and silver. Next year it's going to be the food commodities, particularly will we'll take the stage. I especially stress the grains. So the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which is a good balanced metric to look at the commodity markets, uh, is already in a bull trend in our opinion. Uh, it emerged in October's close. It was 84.5. It's now up around 88. <clears throat> we think it could surge well over 100 rapidly, 110 area, just as a first surge. That's a big percent move. And we think next year the large contributor to that will be grains. Well, if this Forex situation does increase in volatility, and change the trend, which Mm -hmm. we think will happen, dollar down, euro up, uh, that should have an impact that's like wind at the back of the commodity upturn. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're watching right now is more than what's gold doing. I'm watching that euro because if that euro is hanging around yesterday's high, anytime next year, it's out of here.
3: Any time next year. I mean, the the probability at some point (laughs) that you would get, a reading of 98 to 98 and a half on the index
4: on the dollar on the dollar on the index, dollar yeah.
3: the dollar on the index would I mean that seems highly likely that you will right It's a two percent squeeze
4: huh? uh, a two percent a two percent dip and it breaks it and this is a, right. a you don't see it on a price chart you have to go to annual momentum yeah. which is we, we we focus on
3: right uh, momentum
4: know. trends as opposed to price uh, if you look at price 98 doesn't mean a thing. It didn't break anything. We've been down in the 93s this year. But when you look at an annual momentum oscillator, if you drop down to that level next year, I'm going to blow a trend line that's got like five points on it that goes back to 2005. So it's a huge momentum uptrend structure that will go negative if the dollar index sneezes next year. Wow. Below to a 2% below where it is right now. So that's how potent those those the forex markets are, in terms of one coming back to life and two, putting wind in the sales of commodities.
3: All right, let's uh, let's suppose that happens. Um, what what do you see as sort of a likely downside for the dollar on the index?
4: That's a good question. I, I can't give you a good answer right now on that, but but okay. large, <clears throat> I, I I have not done the the homework that the necessary okay. To well, answer. We'll, okay, uh,
3: we'll we'll save that question it, for it, another time. It, then quickly, with yeah. a couple of minutes left yet. Uh, Actually, one minute. Uh, What about gold right now? Then uh, I guess it's the mirror image to to a certain extent of the dollar index.
4: Yeah, I think gold is trying to put in a bottom here. The gold miners, which is our stress point, we like Mm -hmm. them the best. We said that last year. We said that in February when they broke out. In fact, the gold miners have not even pulled back to where our buy signal was. The GDX index, for example, GDX ETF, Uh is a 21.5 area. Uh, We had a buy at 15.5 to 16. Now, gold has come all the way back down almost to our February buy levels, which is mm-hmm. in the 1160 to 1140 zone. So gold has been weaker in this pullback than GDX, and GDX is holding up a lot better. Miners are on a percent mm-hmm. basis. Uh, they're up nicely from our entry point, and They're up uh, massively from last year's low, which was down in the 12s, as I recall. Uh, so I I think that if, especially if the foreign exchange situation shifts in January with the numbers mm-hmm. I, I threw out there, that's likely to uh, put also uh, some life back in the gold market.
3: Right. Well, I would like to just mention that uh, Michael you're you're looking at all of these different markets and you sort of look at you know understanding the interrelationship of these various markets. I mean, you've been talking about the likelihood. I mean, you you look at the markets at each of these markets separately. So, for example, you've started your momentum work started suggesting that equities and bonds were getting long in the tooth, and we were getting very close to structurally to a breakdown in those markets. We haven't seen it yet in the S and P. We certainly it seems as though we've seen it in the T in the uh, um, the T bond, uh, mm-hmm. and now we've started to see it in gold and some of the commodities to a certain extent. So I guess you you look at these markets individually, but you also looked at them sort of from a bigger picture, collectively how they fit together, right?
4: I think it's essential you do that. You know, and that's, yeah. that's why I think this Forex situation is a neat mystery because it's been so sedate, it's so quiet. It's like a time bomb. And uh, when you go back in, in history, and I've done this before in a lot of reports on the dollar. In fact, we were bullish on the dollar when it was in the 70s. Back in 2011, it was trading in the, the dollar indexes in the 70s. And our target, frankly, was 100. Uh, and it was in a period then of extremely sedate action, off-the-chart sedate. And we knew it wouldn't last, and sure enough, it didn't, and it also translated not into downside volatility, but upside in price. Mm -hmm. Uh, This time, I think it's the opposite. We have sedateness in the dollar at high levels, sedateness in euro at very low levels, and we think that will reverse. We get both volatility in both and trend change. And that should impact all the other asset categories.
3: uh, It's it's fascinating stuff, Michael, and uh, also I can't... I can't emphasize enough how accurate your momentum work has been relative to price uh, to price work that many analysts do. So uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show again. Folks, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Thanks so much for being with us, Michael, and I, hopefully we can do it again next week. Thank you, Jay. All righty, folks. Well, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away. Ivan Bebek will be with us. Now, and Resources, which uh, he is the chairman of, is a company that has – three or four major i mean i'm talking about world-class exploration targets gold exploration targets it's one of my top picks it's one of the companies that i'm most excited about so i hope you'll stick around and listen to what ivan bebek has to say don't go away we'll be right back
1: million.
0: Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000 ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000 meter drill program. The company has over $7 in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols nvo and nsrpf respectively
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america
5: business network
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Ivan Bebek. You know, if you're going to be investing in any company, it's always good to look at the management, but it's always good to look and see what their track record is. And uh, Ivan Bebek, along with his uh, his partner, Sean Wallace, have had a remarkable uh, amount of success for their, in their young lives. They're still relatively young men yet. They've had a couple of big successes. We had Caden Resources on this show before, which Ivan uh, and Sean headed up and they were uh, it was a home run in a very bad market Um, and now they're back to do it again both of these gentlemen with their team and they have assembled a lot of very talented people around them Uh, given you know success breeds success and so Ivan Bebek and Sean Wallace and his uh, his team have really uh, have really grown very remarkably uh, over the last few years Uh, are in trades uh, in Toronto you can buy it under the symbol AUG and you can buy it in the US as I have under the symbol GGTCF, uh, trading at around US two dollars, and uh, with um, uh, I guess uh, giving it a market cap of around seventy-three million in US money, something like that, probably hundred million or or so in Canadian dollars. Thank you for joining me again, Ivan. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back. Always good to have you. You just keep building up your management team, and I noticed that you just announced a, a new person. Joining your board, uh, Michael Kosowan. Uh can you tell and us Michael a little Kaufman. bit about Michael?
6: Yeah. So those of you you know that don't know Michael, um, he's very well known on the the U.S. natural resource investing side. He had worked with uh, Rick Rule at Sprout uh, Global Investments and in Sprout Wealth in Toronto, but you know for years out of San Diego, which was one of the or is the largest natural resource investors, kind of from a, a brokerage perspective in the states. And Michael came from um, an engineering background and uh, had worked with the majors prior to working with some juniors, but uh, was one of the the premier U.S. uh, natural resource investors. He was uh, a cornerstone investor with Keegan, Caden, and is with Oren. As you saw by his recent insider filings, he has nearly 3 million shares of our company. Um, Mm -hmm. He's someone that we've worked with for about uh, 13 years. Him and I kind of, we found each other earlier in our careers, and we both drank the the same Kool-Aid or the same formula of understanding the business and, and what should make mining companies or exploration companies do well. Um, you know, not too soon, soon after, Michael had a chance to meet Sean and the rest of the team, and, you know, we, we grew this really strong connection and relationship from the actual issuer side or the company side where we're at and with Michael on the brokerage side. And, um, you know, he was our, one of our top financiers, and that's as we've described him in our press release. but. He brings a wealth of understanding and knowledge of the capital markets. He also has a a very significant following amongst several newsletter writers because of his technical background. You know, he understands these things quite well. And, um, you know, there's one thing to understand a good mining asset, but it's also understanding a good mining management team that's able to monetize these assets. You know, a lot of times you get these great technical companies and successes, but you don't necessarily get a share price success. So he perfect fit for us. We've been talking to him for about you know several years or the last five years more seriously, letting him know that if he ever wanted to switch from the broker side to come to the company side, we'd have an opening for him. And you know, I think I'll speak a little bit for Mike, but the appeal of the management team, the track record, which he was you know on one side of for the last few companies, but the technical team and projects and portfolio that we were able to assemble with Oren, it drew in another great guy into the team. And that's, that's what you're seeing with Michael yeah absolutely
3: and i I think it's very important uh, to note and uh, you just mentioned that Michael has a good uh, chunk of shares in your company and that uh, the management of your your company really does eat their own cooking don't they
6: yeah, you know, it's you know I've been a, a very active buyer lately off the recent lows and the seasonal low for gold is as painful as it is when this market you know goes down on us and and everyone else. It's kind of my favorite time. I get excited because uh, it's an opportunity for me on the buy side. Not to say that I don't buy us on good days when good developments happen, but um, we went on sale and you know th- that's all spirited because I probably know the most of anyone in our entire company in terms of the assets as well as um, you know. I follow it closely from, uh, from not just a project perspective, but from the financial perspective and what these things could mean going forward. Um, I choose to be that involved and that's what spirits my insider buys, is, is knowing a lot about all of what we have. Um, I, I don't have enough shares yet based on the prize that's in front of us, as well as the market timing. And, uh, you know, if I can find a position to buy more, you'll see me constantly adding more. And it's just because, um, you know, I can't really compete with what 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 Oren's doing with a lot of other investments. Not to say that I don't don't have other investments. I do have them in other gold companies, and I have some large ones as well, but I trust our management team the most because you know, I'm a partner in that team and part of directing how this thing goes forward. So it gives me that confidence to make real investments into what we do. And the other thing about it is, you know, when you have these successes as we did with Caden and Keegan, in those early days it was a lot more difficult to find the capital and as you remember Caden was in the bear market. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like a lot of people in the mining market were rolling in profits off other deals to buy their own deals further. But, you know, in this case we came out with a very big win on Caden and you know, when I look around and look at the money and if I'm going to recommend or introduce our company to investors such as yourself, you know, I'm, I'm buying alongside you guys as I'm talking about it because I truly believe in it. You know, and, and for us, I think that's a great testament to the quality of the work we're doing and that, you know, the genuine belief in what we're doing and how real we feel it is. And, and that's why you see it. Well, you have so much to talk about. We
3: better get going on to uh, a couple of your projects. Uh, we've maybe got five minutes to talk about uh, Peru and uh, what you got going in the B.C. and also the Nunavuts. But talk to us about Peru. What are your plans there? Uh, you have a couple of targets that are world-class, really. Talk to us about Peru.
6: Yeah, so I'll keep it short for the sake of time, but we have four projects in Peru. They're outstanding projects. They were picked by a gentleman by the name of Miguel Cardozo, who's credited with the gold discovery of Yanacocha, and uh, that's a 60 million ounce gold district today. So an incredible PhD geologist, formerly had worked with Newmont. He is so well connected in Peru, he was actually on the shortlist to be the Vice Mine Minister of Peru, but, uh, you know, that that there was some conflicts because of his background in geologist. That um, and we preferred that he wasn't because he brought mm-hmm. us all these projects and is running for us things for us in country. The projects that we have Sombrero, which is the one we'll likely be drilling early in Q1 of next year. Um, it's where you're going to see the next surface programs ahead of the drill program that gets started. This is 200 kilometers west of the Las Bombas mine which recently sold for $5.8 billion in 2014 to MMG from Glencore. Um, an incredible copper deposit. Uh, this is a co- copper porphyry scarn belt that it sits on. They had a very small credit of gold, but as you move the 200 kilometers west to Sombrero, you get into our target, which has only been surface sampled. It's never been drilled. We have 20 kilometers of strike length of targets, and this is defined by, you know, magnetics, geophysics, all the fun technical stuff, but real simple for your listeners and anyone to understand there's a lot of multi gram gold and a lot of multi percent copper on these contacts between the limestone and the intrusive rock. Basically, there's when the rocks found each other as they were being formed. They had an explosion, and all the minerals were created, and they formed into these systems. We're seeing up to 9% copper, up to 5.8 grams gold. you know, In several other areas, up to 4.5% copper, up to 2.5 grams gold. And what it gives us in terms of scale, when you look to a neighboring deposit such as Las Bambas, which was a major, major deposit, and you look at the, the metrics of it, The size is certainly there. It could be arguably bigger in terms of surface expression. The structural components of it being able to host a major SCARN, meaning gold and copper deposit, it's significant. And the grade is what really overwhelms us and everyone else. It's actually since being in the career and since I've started this business, it's the number one target that I'll ever drill that's never been drilled with a surface expression being so good as it is before the first drill hole goes into it. And, you know, I have to reiterate, when you see 9% copper off-surface, 5% copper, 4% copper, and then you're seeing 5-plus grams gold and, and multi-gram yeah. gold. You know, it, it gets exciting. The hair gets up on the back of my neck. I think it's something that could be spectacular. It's a and It's not necessary. these aren't always easy, but when you find them, these are the multi-billion dollar, as you as saw in Las Bambas, kind of targets that they can be, and, and that's the big prize at the end of it. So that's a, that's a company maker in itself, irregardless of the other five projects in our company. So quite spectacular. Yeah. And then two other ones I'll talk a bit real quick about is Weacoyo and Banyos del Indio. These are down in the southern portion of Peru near the border. Um, this is the epithermal gold district. Weacoyo, I've argued with many people in a, in a very positive manner that it's very similar to what Barcanio was for Caden when we first got there. There's a very short Easy path towards adding ounces of oxide gold, which is the most profitable gold that you can find. Um, how many could be there? It has to be multi-million ounce for us to take on these projects. Again, the guy who found it is a key player or a key guy that was part of discovering Yana Coach, as I mentioned before. So it certainly has the scalability to get bigger, but you're looking at the top of a hill. It's been barely drilled. Their mineralization starts at the top of the hill, so you're not stripping anything back. And there's a power, a power substation within a kilometer of this property and there's water right to it. So you're looking at a very, very, very profitable type of scenario that could get big and have the right rocks that would be very profitable for us going forward. What's really important about this is it's on a big north south structure. This structure goes right into Banyos. And Banos is one of the largest untested alteration systems in the Andes. Um, an analogous of a, a mine that's well known down in South America is called La Coipa, which is about seven million ounces of gold, you know, not too far away just across the border in Chile. Um, when you look at Lakoia Pun, you look at Banyos similar scale and size of alteration system, what gives us confidence that Banyos could be real is that the same structure carrying goal that we accoyo goes right through Banyos, but the alteration system is much, much bigger. We Mm. think the shot here, if it's there, is a 7 to 10 million ounce discovery or possibly larger. Um, This came to us as a a favorite project of one of our directors, Antonio Rivas, who is the chief exploration geologist for Newmont. And before that, he was the uh, VP of geosciences for BHP. So he was the, the chief geologist for two of some of the biggest Mining companies in the world, and he's seen everything. And he'd been after this project since the early '90s. He tried when he was with Placer, and then he tried again with Newmont, but he couldn't get through the bureaucracy of a major and private owner, instead of you know of a large private family. And we were able to do that because of the opportunity in the market. And so uh. those are the three main ones that we're we're really excited about to go work on. And you will see us drill all three of those uh, at some point next year, starting yeah. as early as uh, Q1.
3: Yeah, well, that's in Peru. And then, of course, you, you've just come out with some good metallurgical results from a very exciting property that you have, the Homestake property in British Columbia. Uh, maybe just take 30 seconds to tell us about the results.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, homestake is, is a million ounces of nine grams in the Golden Triangle. Uh, Golden Triangle is called that because of some of the richest mines or the richest mine ever found in the world being Eskay Creek is there. Predium is there. A lot of really, really good big discoveries have, have been made there. Um, we think that that million ounce of nine grams gets a lot bigger, but the biggest question we had on this asset was the metallurgy. How profitable is the rock per ton? What would be the value? And if you do the calculations off what we saw, you're looking at rock that's worth around $12,000 per ton at today's metal prices. Mm. And um, you're not going to be milling in site Here you would sell a concentrate. And uh, just speculating the cost of moving that each ton of rock being a few hundred dollars a ton, that's That's a fragment of the value that I just mentioned, being north of $12,000 a ton. And so when you look at a million ounces of 9 grams gold equivalent, you look at producing a concentrate and selling a concentrate, you're looking at a 6-kilometer road to a deep-sea port, so you can send it basically anywhere, you're looking at a, a very, very rich deposit with very, very good economics based on the extractability of the metal out of the rock. Um, what, where we lose sleep at night on, on Homestake is the fact that it can get much bigger. Um, there was Mm -hmm. some drilling done before us and it's a real simple system, you know, to us. Low to intermediate sulfidation is the technical classification, means there's a zonation factor. Top layer of the system is, is predominantly silver, and then you get into a a big gold layer, and then you had depth, you would get into gold and copper. And so what these guys did before us, you know, not too different from Committee Bay, they got on to Discovery, they drilled 73 meters of 21 grams per ton gold, Mm, which is mm, one of the best holes I've ever seen. And they went in, they kept drilling in that one area. They didn't really look out too much beyond that, and why should they? They were hitting gold right around there. But we're big-picture thinkers, and we looked along Strike, and we see three kilometers long, of a silver zone that's been discovered, but no one's drilled that second layer, the gold layer beneath it. So for us to double it, we think that's what we call brownfields exploration. That's the conservative look. And if mm-hmm. you did the economics and the numbers off of our metallurgy and the rocks that's there and the tonnage and the value of the tonnage of rock that's there right now, it's, it gets really big really fast. So it's a spectacular well, project for us.
3: Well, we, we're going to have to let it go at that, Ivan, and we, we didn't even get to Committee Bay, and you, you did come up with a whole bunch of new targets to shoot at next year at that high-grade, massive uh, project up in, uh, in Nunavut, so we'll have you back on sometime in the near future, and maybe when you come out with some, well, when we talk to you again, perhaps you'll have some time to talk about that one, so want to thank you very much yeah. for being with us again. So much going on. You have a very exciting company. And I guess you will get some results uh, throughout the year probably now, next year, since you're so now we'll, drilling we'll, in, the, in, w-
6: in warm weather areas. Yeah, one final note. Um, you'll see results as early as January from Peru on the surface results. And then we're going to embark on a 55,000 meter drill program. We're drilling 25 targets across six projects, which has mm. never really been done on the discovery basis ever before. And uh, you know, we're targeting it with one of the deepest technical teams in the entire business, predominantly former major experts that were with the majors. Yes. But um, this program, Jay, which we're going to start next year, it's it's unheard of to be this aggressive and go for it. And what's junior, yeah, yeah, It's incredible. Yeah. And it, well, actually, the majors have told us that. They are not (laughs) even running programs this big. I know. But what's driving it for us, and and on this note, it's the rocks and the technical team. You know, it's a great team, and the rocks are are all the right kinds of rocks. The the perspective of each target is real, and uh, we're going to go for it in a rising gold market, and that's how I think we're going to do phenomenal for our shareholders.
3: I don't doubt it. Uh, Thank you very much for being with us, and we'll we'll be talking to you again sometime in the near future. Well, folks, uh, we do have to take a break now. When we come back, John Williams will be with us. John... uh, He's very bullish on gold as well, but he'll give his reasons from his uh, point of view as an economist. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Williams.
1: The Business Community's First Choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Ariane Phosphate is the owner of the world's largest greenfield phosphate project. Unlike other fertilizer nutrients such as potash and nitrogen, phosphate is in deficit in most areas of the world, including right here in North America. It has no substitute and is necessary if we're to grow our crops. Unlike the Middle East and North Africa, which controls most of the world's phosphate, Ariane is situated in mining friendly Quebec and once in production will reduce North America's growing reliance on foreign supply. With a market cap representing just 4% of its $2 billion NPV, Ariane may be the answer to growth in investors' portfolios while ensuring the safety of our food supply. Ariane, D-A-N on the TSXV and D-R-R-S-F in the U.S.
0: The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash Live Events at voiceamerica.com
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america
5: business network
2: you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Williams. Uh, he is the author of Shadow Stats, and uh, everybody that's listening to this should go to ShadowStats.com and sign up for John's very reasonably priced newsletter, as I do. It, uh, if you care at all about the truth with respect to economic numbers, as opposed to the propaganda that you're given by the uh, by the government, uh, then uh, John's newsletter is essential. And basically what John is telling us that inflation numbers are bogus, um, employment numbers are bogus, uh, and John goes back and looks at things in the past as they were, and you know, using the same yardstick to measure inflation and to measure unemployment as was used in the past. Uh, and so it's a very, very valuable. But John has also been warning us about uh, the likelihood, not I think the likelihood in his mind, the certainty of hyperinflation. John, I'm so glad that you could come back with us uh, today, even though uh, the stuff we have to talk about isn't all that pleasant. Thank you so so much for having me, Jay. It's always good to talk to you, uh, even though you are the bearer of bad news to a certain extent. We want to know the truth, and I think uh, uh, as the good book says, the truth will set you free. So, uh, John, um, what about Donald Trump. I mean, uh, surprising to most people, uh, he prevailed. Um, what do you make of this man, and and what do you think it's going to do to the Is, is he going to? Is it going to make a difference in terms of our future economic situation?
5: Well, I think he definitely will, and um, I think that's very simply why he got elected. Um, if you look at um, the underlying real economic activity, we never recovered from the. Uh, economic collapse into 2009 uh, the mm-hmm. average person senses that uh, Main Street USA hasn't recovered um, you can always uh, follow U- Main Street USA people about their uh, pocketbooks and that's what they did in this election every time disposable income this is since the, they've had uh, consistent numbers on this since uh, in 1932 was the first election every election where um uh, real disposable income has been below uh, uh, 3%. The incumbent parties lost the White House. And um, w- we're looking at something around 2.6% uh, uh, coming into this election. So uh, the, the, pa- the pattern there continued. Uh, Mr. Trump picked up on the uh, long-term unemployed. You hear all the great news. Down to 4.6% unemployment right now, according to the government. But that dropped from 4.9 percent the month before. That was largely unemployed people disappearing from the labor force because they couldn't find jobs. It wasn't right. gaining employment, and that that's been a case all along here. In happy economic times, unemployment rate drops. Uh, that be, and that's because people are getting jobs. That hasn't generally been happening. Uh, I still look at a, an estimate of uh, about 23 percent. I'm a little bit low that now, in terms of the uh, where the um, uh, unemployment rate would be if you, can, if you counted all the discouraged and displaced workers. If you went around the country and asked the average person whether or not he or she uh, were unemployed, that's about what you'd get. And uh, that, that's why Trump um, got elected. And I don't, I, there are people who uh, miss that basic. I mean, you've had all sorts of crazy polling, but uh, I, I tell you, the pocketbook issues drive these elections over time, and that's demonstrable. That said, Uh, He's also indicated that he's going to uh, do uh, a variety of things to improve the economy, and I'm I'm sure he's going to do his best in that area. Um, He's going to introduce fiscal stimulus, uh, spending, reducing taxes, uh, trying to balance things out with the budget deficit at the same time, which is difficult. Uh, The problem he faces is that um, uh, any kind of fiscal stimulus usually takes about nine months to uh, work its way into the system. There's a lead time there. So you're going to have a period of time where the um, you're, you're likely going to see some widening of the deficit, even though people will be a little more optimistic. They'll be seeing this uh, stimulus uh, working into the system, and uh, hopefully the economy be, be picking up some. The problem is, is the deficit widens. Uh, global markets are going to be focusing back on our our deficit problem. And mm. there we have a massive one. We're, we're the worst of uh, anyone in the world. Uh, we have um, we're long-term insolvent. Our, our net obligations uh, this is now the federal government uh, allowing for the net present value of, of of unfunded liabilities for things such as Social Security and Medicare and I say unfunded liabilities, uh, net present value, the, 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 the value of that's discounted into the future for the value of money, so that's effectively the amount, the amount of money you need to have in hand today to cover these obligations. It's in excess of $100 trillion. Yeah. That type of money just does not exist. There's no way the United States can ever cover that. And if that's not brought under control, if that if the long-term solvency of the United States is not addressed, uh, we're virtually we're assured of hyperinflation because down the road the government in order to meet those obligations basically has to print the money to to pay off the obligations otherwise it reneges on its debt and in either case the dollar is going to become worthless and that gives you hyperinflation now we have another issue which is actually more pressing and more threatening uh, and that's the Federal Reserve. Uh, you go back to 2008 and the financial panic of that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the banking system effectively collapsed. The Fed, the Treasury, made the decision that they would save the banking system at all costs. I can't say that they would have done differently. We should not have gotten into that position. There are all sorts of bad things that were done by the uh, by the Fed and. Uh, Legislators that allowed that system to uh, uh, get so out of control, but what they did to resolve the uh, panic, to, uh, to to effectively buy little time, was all stopgap. Uh, mm-hmm. They bailed out whatever they had to bail out. They created whatever cash they had to um, had, had to create. They guaranteed whatever accounts they had to guarantee. They bought companies like AIG. Um, funded uh, General General Motors uh, Mm -hmm. Chrysler Uh, what they did was extraordinary and and they bought some time the problem is that in all those uh, stopgap measures they did nothing to address the underlying problems that led to the panic and and there were three basic things there Um, one was the economy which was crashing and led to some of the other problems such as the uh, liquidity in the banking system and the um, long-term solvency issues of the United States. That is the, uh, that's is the—that's where we had weakness in the dollar. And um, all the things that were done to buy time, bought time, the system's still not sol- solvent. Um, what happened with the uh, economy, I and mean, they could have uh, done quite a bit in the way of stimulus. They didn't. The Fed concentrated on saving the banking system. That's its primary function in life. It's not to, I mean, they have a mandate from Congress, yes, to keep the economy growing, to uh, contain inflation, but their primary function is to keep the banking system afloat. Sure. All sure. this quantitative easing that we saw um, basically was aimed at, at providing solvency to the banking system, to so providing liquidity to the banking system. Um, the Fed knew there's very little that it could do to stimulate the economy, but it used the economy uh, or the, 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 the talk of this quantitative, quantitative easing is stimulating the economy as political cover uh, for bailing out the banking system. It's that simple. Now, uh, the system, for a banking system, is uh, it's in many ways better than it was, uh, but it's still not stable. You still have large banks at risk. It's still not lending uh, normally into the uh, um, the flow of commerce. If it were, the economy economy would be stronger.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, John. Uh, so it seems to me what's happened is, to a great extent, they've redistributed wealth from the savers to the banking system. Essentially, I mean, if you if you push interest rates down and you don't give people anything on their savings, you are giving you know cost-free money to the banks. Essentially, is that what happened? Yes, it was. And, and so,
5: um, not, well, not and only that, but the Fed bought off the books of the banks bad assets such as mortgage-backed securities. Yeah, it's all supposedly good, but. They did that to give them liquidity so they they, they, they wouldn't fail so here right. here's the problem uh, we now have us fed that next week is uh, threatening to raise interest rates again maybe they will maybe they won't um, they, they certainly have no credibility and they, they, they talk about oh we're lacking credibility we need to do this if this is a little boy been uh, crying wolf the uh, townspeople would have strung them up by that at this point in time it's uh, it's 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 nonsense because uh, they raise the rates, they're still going to have to come back and and uh, uh, provide new quantitative easing. Reason for that is economy is not recovering. The the, the these uh, we've seen some very crazy numbers like uh, big gains in uh, retail sales and housing starts. Those numbers aren't going to hold. Um, they're they're going to reverse out. The employment numbers are are just miserable when you look at the underlying reality. And if you look at the headline number, the the one that was uh, j- just recently reported, again the drop in the unemployment there is not due to people getting job jobs. It's because people are leaving the labor force. Well, who's con- concerned about that? Janet Yellen is. That's uh, the participation rate. It's a mm-hmm. measure of the uh, percent of the the labor force, which is the total employed and unemployed. Um, against the population. Um, that, that's at an historic low, effectively. And uh, it got worse in this last reporting. Yeah. The year to year change in, in, in payroll employment is uh, basically the lowest it's been in a, in, in, in a long time. And uh, that, that, those numbers are overstated by about 200,000 jobs a month. We're seeing negative growth in, in, in payrolls and underlying reality. Uh, mm-hmm. Which today had a trade deficit uh, widening, big one, for for October, and that signals uh, uh, a widening of the trade deficit uh, for fourth quarter, which means the uh, fourth quarter GDP is going to be a lot worse than expected. Um, the uh, look at industrial production; it's still in in recession. Um, the, the, the headline industrial production had one month of recovery. The official number. That was in November of 2014. Popped above the uh, pre-recession high. It's been heading down ever since. We're that industrial production showing a new recession. 15 months year-to-year contraction for a quarter straight of year-to-contraction. That's never happened out of, outside of a recession, and that's that series going back going back to. Um, Uh, You look at the housing industry. Any number that you look at is minimally 20 to 50% below where it was at its pre-recession peak before the recession. Um, There's just no way that you you look at all the underlying detail, and guess what? Um, The headline GDP right now is uh, 13.5% above its pre-recession high. I challenge you to find anything else that's doing that. I mean, this is composed mm-hmm. of all these other numbers like industrial production.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, retail. And John, hey, John. And, and, John, you just mentioned that, you know, the housing market, how weak it's been. And that's despite the fact that we've had a manipulatedly, you know, a, a, an interest rate, a mortgage rate that is false, that it's phony. There's no price discovery in the uh, interest rate, uh, in, you know, in the debt markets now. So okay. I, I want to ask I want to ask you something, John, with respect to the rising interest rates. we've seen a dramatic increase in the T-bond rate. Do you think that? I mean, it seems to me, and I'm 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 of the opinion, and I would like to know what you think, that the markets, the bond vigilantes, are starting to waken and they're starting to see the potential for what you've been talking about all along. That is this uh, this massive indebtedness, and uh, that it's not so much the Fed that's raising rates as it is the market that's forcing the Fed. Uh, to recognize that reality. Any thoughts on that?
5: Well, you're, you're, you're correct. It is the market that's uh, raising the rates, and they're seeing higher inflation. We're going to get uh, CPI next uh, uh, next week for the month of November. Uh, that's likely on a year-to-year basis going to be up around 2%, um, which is the highest level since um, oil prices collapsed in 2014. That's um, at 3 percentage points on that, and you've got 5% uh, thirty-year bond. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that would be the standard, um, the the, sta- the standard formula.
3: Yeah. What happens if we get a five percent uh, thirty-year bond, John? To the markets now.
5: Well, right now you've uh, the the question is going forward here. If you get the the funding again, we come back to the long-term solvency issues. Because here, here here's where there are two two ways, and and they're likely going to have are going to have some kind of a. Uh, co-joining of the problems here that will give us a uh, uh, rapid upturn in inflation. Uh, one, one is the Fed having to move back uh, into quantitative easing mm. to, to, to uh, uh, remove these uh, stresses from the banking system that increases the economy gets it. Weak economy means more stress financial stress on the banks. The Fed goes back in quantitative easing, and, and, and the Fed's backing away from that. talk Continuously talking about raising rates has been a prop under right. the dollar. As soon as it goes back to expanded quantitative easing, the dollar is going to take a hit. That's going to spike oil prices. That's going to spike inflation. Um, but you also have the circumstance now with the uh, new administration. They're going to put um, uh, uh, new sorts of uh, fiscal stimulus in place to, to, to boost the economy, and that, that's needed. You have to have a strong economy to have the system... Uh, uh, survive. So that's a plus. Uh, again, the uh, initially you should have some uh, hit to the uh, budget deficit. Uh, it's going to take a year before things start to pick up from from the stimulus mm-hmm. and the long-term issues there in terms of the solvency. That's something that Mr. Trump has to address. He's got a creative team. He's beyond the Uh, scope of what you've normally seen in uh, Washington thinking. Look at the last 10 years. Nobody could uh, come up with a a balanced budget for uh, a year, let alone uh, uh, address $100 $100 trillion uh, uh, long-range deficit in terms of present value. Uh, I I don't see it happening. Uh, We've been living beyond our means for too long, and the systems, I believe, to. Uh, too to corrupt, the political interests still are too strong that will um, prevent it from happening. But um, maybe something will happen if, if they can if they can present their stimulus package with a credible long range uh, solvency plan. Um, then you have some hope. I don't see the long range solvency plan uh, coming into place. And what happens if you don't have that? Look back at August of 2011 when uh, Standard and Poor's downgraded uh, um, downgraded the U.S. Treasuries. Right. Um, Dollar panic. Then there's all sorts of interventions, machinations. Same things happening here. You're going to have a hit on the dollar from the Fed having to move back into salvage, resalvage the banking system, and you're also going to have a hit on the dollar as the Global markets not only look at that, but also refocus very specifically on the uh, long-range sovereign solvency issues of the United States. And as mm-hmm. that starts to pick up, tremendous amount of dollars outside our system that will be repatriated. Already, we're mm-hmm. having China's not buying the bonds anymore, uh, and uh, not not better. Uh, Japan, South Korea, who's going to buy the bonds? Well, yeah. hey, you have the Fed. You go back to the quantitative easing. That was a funding the the treasury at that time was also a problem, but what the Fed did in buying up the treasuries um, from the banks as these new treasuries were issued by the by, by the Fed, the, effectively um, the Fed monetized seventy four percent of the new uh, treasury issuance in that in that period of time. Now those the Fed's still holding point uh, five trillion dollars uh, worth of those uh, t- uh, treasury bonds. And um, uh, guess what? They get paid interest on it by the uh, Treasury, but the the Fed refunds the Treasury to the to, uh, refunds refunds the uh, interest rates uh, paid the the interest payments to the Treasury. So it's, yeah. it's cost free for the federal government. All right,
3: but John, that's we're, that's gonna we're to... going to have
5: to get into and, and we're already beginning to see uh, the mechanism of near term uh, debt monetization. We've already had yeah. some of it, although. They skirted around the inflation issue. The inflation All issue is right, not John, going to be dodged here because it will it, it'll be, it'll be directly tied to the way the rest of the world perceives the dollar. People dump the dollar. You'll see a panic oh. sell-off in the dollar.
3: Um, okay. John, we're going to have to leave it go at that. You, you said in your recent writing, you said that 2017 uh, will be dollar doom. Uh so you I think you've just summed up the reasons a lot of the reasons unfortunately we're out of time. I I'm, I'm gathering you're very bullish on gold if the dollar is going to take a hit in 2017 well, Do I have uh, that
5: right? Physical gold. Holding physical. Yeah. That's what that's what and and I I prefer sovereign coins uh cuz it's they're they're liquid they're portable and most people accept them without having to assay them.
3: All right, John, we're going to have to leave it go at that. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, So much to think about. We'll have to have you back again sometime so we can go over this stuff in more detail. Some of these issues that we didn't get to today. Thank you so much for being with us. And again, it's ShadowStats.com, folks. Go to ShadowStats.com. Sign up for John's letter. You'll be glad you did. Well, folks, that is all the time we have. Next week, Andrew McGuire the whistleblower in the gold markets is going to be with us uh, to talk about what he thinks the the games that are being played in the gold and silver markets, the manipulation that's going on to suppress those prices. He's going to talk about that. Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us and uh, Michael Oliver as well. So we hope that you'll be with us next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
2: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor.
0: Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbol. NVO and NSRPF respectively.